busy? Mm-mm. Okay, let me run something past you real quick. So, I just got a nugget. The little Holy Spirit download real quick to let me see something like I've never seen it before up until this time. And it is so jam-packed and, and just delicious that I had to pick up the phone. I'm like, listen, I got to call you because um, I can't keep this to myself. So I want to, I think the only way to do this right is to go ahead and just read from what I just was reading. So I was reading Luke 9 and just got this epiphany. Okay, okay, let me not, I don't want to do no spoiler. Let me just jump right into it. So I am going to read basically when Jesus feeds the 5,000. So I'm going to go ahead and jump down for Luke 9. You know, I read in the NLT version and we're going to start at verse 11. So it says, but the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the king, kingdom of God and he healed those who were sick. 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. 13. But Jesus said, you feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? <laughs> 14. For there were about 5,000 men there. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. 16. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked upward toward heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. 17. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Let me break this down to the elemental P the way that it was given to me. So first off, Jesus is good at math because there's no way I would have been able to buy 5,000, put how many groups can I put in without having, okay, and then how many individuals need to be in that group. It's no way, not without my iPhone. Mm -mm. I would just say, just, just put, let them all stand in line because I don't, who knows off back let about 50 individuals going to be about a hundred groups jesus is good at math so let's go ahead and start there okay um but the amazing thing is this is just a, such a display of what we do from day to day don't we go ahead and look at jesus and in our prayers and we're like um it's a problem somebody need to fix this and he looks back like you you fix it hmm i'm sorry oh, oh i Oh, I didn't come to you so I can be the fixer. I'm saying that something is wrong. I wanted to bring it to your attention and tell you to go ahead and push it further away from me so I don't have to deal, okay? Um, yeah, but I want to place the emphasis on the fact that the reason why they, the disciples wanted to go ahead and tell Jesus to shoo everybody away is because they indicated it was a remote area because there was nothing to eat there. There was no place to stay there was no lodging there was no food but they did enough of a census to know that they only had two fish and five loaves and so that screamed volumes to me because I said to myself I said the 12 baskets for me were symbolic it was symbolic enough to know first of all 
we don't even know what they had in those baskets. You know, for you to be in a remote area, maybe they knew Jesus be sliding off places where there's no bathroom. So we're probably going to need to bring some toilet tissue, you know, some lotion, some sunscreen, um, probably going to need some water. And because, you know, we don't really know where he's going or how long we're going to be there. Well, we're going to pack a little bit of a knapsack real quick. And so it had to be something in those baskets for there to be this eureka of, oh, okay, you know what? Let's take all this out because we got enough leftovers that we can go ahead and pack these 12 baskets of to-go's. And so the the leftovers was just kept ringing and, and just being so profound to me. And I said, you know what? I bet you those people didn't even realize that they were carrying 12 baskets of miracles because they were the first people documented to show that God can take the little that we have in our hands. And as long as it comes from God and it's distributed, distributed by people who believe what God is saying, that it will always be extra by the time it gets to you. So many times we're going to people, can you pray for me? Can you do this, that, and the third? And they don't even believe in everything that you're asking or what Jesus is doing in your life. And so look at the assembly line of that. Jesus looked up to God where all blessings come. Then Jesus went ahead and broke the fish, the loaves, gave it to his disciples. And the disciples went ahead and gave it out to the people. Make sure that in your life, when you're praying for your miracle, when you're praying for your breakthrough, when you're calling up such and such, when you're just telling random people or people close to you, hey, can you pray for me? Hey, can you just keep me on your heart? You know, such and such is blah, blah, blah. Make sure that you don't break that assembly line. It always should come from Father in the name of Jesus. I'm coming to you to pray about and you make sure that everything connected to that prayer is a believer in the thing that you are praying about. Don't you ever do it out of sequence. So I pulled from that. I got to make sure that I keep that same assembly line because what Jesus did on Calvary gave us the access to go ahead and have the relationship and the prayer openness that we have with God to this very day. That's why when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. You're not coming to him and say, okay, God, can I just A, B, and C? No, no, no. Jesus is the key that got you the door to go into God's throne to pay, pray about what you wanted to, to pray about in the first place. So don't forget that assembly line. Super important. I was like, oh, oh my goodness. But the fact that these people were able to see Two fish, five loaves, fed 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, 5,000 men. Then their faith had to be a little bit elevated to believe in their hearts that whatever is in these 12 baskets is enough to feed us as well. I know it only looks like 12, but if God can take two fish, five loaves, then these 12 leftovers is more than enough. It, it is plenty as far as I'm concerned. So they were ca carrying abundance. They were carrying wisdom. They were carrying... I mean, literally something that they've never seen before. And in all reality, at the very, very bottom of it, you know what they were carrying? Their faith. They literally were able to carry tangible pieces of their faith. Tangible evidence of their faith. How else do you explain that I have 12 baskets 
in a remote area. I know he didn't go to the store real quick. I, I know that they didn't go ahead and just go fishing real quick and went ahead and, and, and produced some more bread. I know that's not what happened. So to be able to see tangible evidence in their lives that Jesus did a miraculous thing for me. And for some, it may be small, like, okay, he fed you, but you know what? No, 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 no. It's more than it just being food. It's more than it just being two fish and five loaves. That thing looks a lot like, you know what? This is energy for my path that I'm about to pursue on. Because if this is a remote area, who knows how long it's going to take before they get to whatever land that is more busy, that is more city-like, that there's lodging and there's more food. Who knows? But for God to know, I cannot let these people go hungry and I will not let them ever leave empty-handed. And that is something that is so awesome that I want to go ahead and emphasize on right now. There is something about being in the presence of God, going ahead and communion with Jesus that he never, ever, ever lets you know leave empty-handed I said it before and I will say it again because it's worth repeating that is why I believe when when the angels came down the men of God came down and was talking to Abraham way over in Genesis and they would you know he was just going ahead perusing because they was about to go ahead and just take a census real quick of what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah and the fact that Abraham went ahead and said you know what let me go ahead and have Sarah, Sarai at that moment. Let me go ahead and have her go ahead and whip up a little quick meal real quick, some yogurt, some bread. Let me go ahead and just have her just voluntarily cook this whole meal. And before the three men left, they looked at Abraham and said, a year from now, you will have a child. Because if you know anything about God, he is never going to leave you the way he found you. Mm, I need you to catch that. He is never going to leave you the way that he found you. So this little display real quick, this huge miraculous display that gets downplayed a little bit, which you don't realize is there were 5,000 men. That means what if there were also the equivalent in number of women and children? It would have been 10,000 people there. That 5,000 men, Jesus said, there's no way that I can be in the midst and you be lacking anything. There's no way. That's why I feel like the fig tree got cursed the way that it did. Because again, anything that's not producing with Jesus, it either gets pruned because the Bible, we already know what it says in Matthew, that God is the gardener, Jesus is the vine. So anything that's not producing fruit, it has to go. But it's never, ever, ever, ever that Jesus is not doing his part. You understand? I'm going to let that sail out real quick. Let that sit because that just got me. But again, carrying their faith. How awesome is that? And then I kind of went ahead and said, hmm, let me go ahead and lean in real quick on 12. What is that symbolic for in our own time? And I thought about this 12 months in a year. And I thought, man, these people were carrying their miracles from a remote area to wherever else their lives are. I wonder what we're carrying from year to year, from month to month, from day to day. Let me give you a story real quick. My husband and I have been binge watching on shows uh, because we just have had the time to do so. And we stumbled upon Married at First Sight. Now, I kind of saw a little snippet of something like a few years ago 
online, got into it a little bit and felt kind of convicted. I was like, I don't know if I should be watching people who play with marriage like that. Like, I don't really, I didn't know how to feel about it. So I kind of was just like, yeah, I didn't want to introduce it to him. And I didn't want to watch it myself because I wasn't sure on where I was. But now I'm like, listen, you know, as long as it's not hitting my morals while I'm watching people just do stuff that I'm like, God, I hope you don't see me watching this as you see me watching this, then I'm okay. So we have been watching it. We stumbled upon season five, right? Season five has this particular couple. There were three on there. This particular couple named Danielle and Cody. Danielle and Cody and the premise of Marry at First Sight. Let me just give you a snippet if you don't know real quick. There are three experts. I think one is a sex expert. The other is some type of clinician and the other is a male and he's a pastor. And they have people sign up I think the number was like 30,000 40,000 people in any given city that they choose it was outrageous and from all these different testing and what have you and their expertise they go ahead and they match two people they tell them two weeks in advance hey you get married in two weeks they know nothing about the other partner they don't even down to their name they don't know anything how they look nothing it's just you're supposed to go ahead and start looking at a ring band and go ahead and get your wedding attire and get your hair and nails and and invite 25 people from your side he gets to invite 25 people this is the location the only thing that you know is that this is the the wedding date and so it's like, oh, okay. So literally people are going, they're walking down the aisle and then they're getting on the altar and they're saying, hi, what's your name? Because literally don't know, right? And so Danielle and Cody look physically appealing, looks like, oh, okay, that's a cute match. I like the way that looks, whatever. Um, and things were going pretty good. You know, they do the normal stuff. So right after the wedding, they went on a honeymoon and they go... Well, right after the wedding, they're in some type of hotel. So they go to the hotel. Then the next day, they're like, congratulations, you're going here. So they went to some island, however. And so then after the hotel and all of that goes, then they live in together. So, yeah, so then life takes over. But I honed in on Danielle because she started to self-sabotage this particular relationship. She said that Cody was bringing up, which was the husband she was paired with, that Cody was bringing up triggers from her past and and her past just started to gain this momentum where she literally looked like a different person within like a week's time. She went from holding his hand to kissing him to just telling him that she wanted to be friends. And it was just really weird watching that kind of like metamorphosis, but in a negative sense. And so the pastor because when they see mm, the experts, when they start seeing there's a little bit of an issue, we're having a you know, the, you, you hit a groove there that you're not able to get over by yourself. So the pastor had a talk with her and he was like, I want you to go ahead and write a letter to your past. I want because you are carrying this thing from your past into your future and it's not benefiting you. So I want you to go ahead, write it down. So she wrote Dear Past and she wrote this whole thing. And then she did this wonderful symbolic thing where she put it in the um, fireplace and she lit it on fire. All but a little piece that was left. But that's fine. I'm just, I feel like if you're going to do it, do it right, Danielle. But that's between her and the Lord, so I'll leave it alone. And I just, when I was reading this about the 12 baskets being carried and the fact that 
you know, these people were in the presence of Jesus and they were carrying nourishment. They were carrying something that added on to them and they were carrying things that were nourishing for their path to come. And I'm looking at that and I immediately flipped my mind to Danielle and I said, in the contrast, she's carrying something from her past that's depleting her, that is taken away from her, that is corroding her very, her very existence now. What are you carrying is the question that I want to echo all throughout this conversation. What are you carrying? Now, it could be from a remote place from the past to something current, but I want it to look a lot like two fish and five loaves. I want it to look a lot like whatever I choose to carry, it will add to me. It will be a part of my faith. It will be a part of me remembering that if God did it before, he'll do it again. That if anything, if anybody can get it done or ask for it to be done, I can ask God and he will do it. That if I, if I just put a little bit of faith in the little bit that I have that God will expand it to a point that I've never seen it could be done ever before in my life I want us to go more on that side and I feel like too many of us have a really Danielle mindset that we have the mindset that if it looks like before then it's going to happen the same way again and be, and we get these things called triggers which is I just wish adults would just really suppress and do something better than that. Not suppress it like, oh, it's not there, but really break it down. I mean, if there's a freaking rat underneath your bed, we don't pretend like it's not there and keep getting dressed. No, you need to do something to go ahead and actively get the, the rodent out from under your bed because it's going to cause more damage than, than staying there and acting like it's not there. What are you carrying in your 12 baskets, which is one month Per year what are you carrying for the 12 hours that you're up what are you carrying for your 12 what are your leftovers if we were to be able in any sense to open you up from the inside out and see the baskets that you carry are we going to see baskets that add to you that is beneficial that is nourishing for your future that is an absolute necessity or are we going to see that you're carrying rocks and coals and things that weigh you down and things that rub too close to your triggers and it doesn't allow for you to go ahead and, and just excite and be um, present for what's happening now and so you are in the car looking in the rearview mirror hoping that you get to the next exit safely what are you carrying because let me tell you something about the human body. You, what you're carrying, your body will go ahead and let it be known. You'll start getting an extremely, extreme amount of gray hair. I remember when I got my first two strands, my aunt was like, why? I don't know what's going on with you, it's your generation. Why y'all getting gray hairs this early in y'all 30s? I've never, I didn't even get mine until she said some late age. But it's like, you know what? I think we have more stressors. <laughs> and I think that's what it is. It could be the food. It could be a whole bunch of other different things. But I think that we carry more than what they did in the 60s. We carry way more. We have a whole level of independence that we have to carry that looks way different than what they had. Like, I doubt if my grandmother and my mother and them was doing what I did in my 30s. I doubt it. It was way cheaper, even though they was probably making less. But still, it still is a matter of, like, you do not understand the, the, the pressure of life at this point you understand but if we opened you up matter of fact open yourself up what are you carrying 
Do you have a disciple kind of mindset where you see the problem, but you go ahead and shoo it off because you don't really want to deal right now? Or do you look at it like, mm, I only have two fish and five loaves, so I don't have enough to deal with that issue right now? Or do you look at it like, mm, you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll get to that some at some other point if it wasn't so many issues. Like what about what you're carrying makes you delay and put off? What about the things that you're carrying makes you say, I see that it's an issue, but I'll deal with the issue later. That doesn't make any logical sense that something before is affecting your now, but you'll deal with it later then that means that your whole time continuum is penetrated by this very act that happened in your past and it is forever living through your decision to put it off. Does that make sense to you? And this is in no way, shape, or form a beat up. In no way, shape, or form am I going, you should, you should, because listen, we've all been there. I am to the point in my life that if I'm uncomfortable about something, I have this phrase that I tell myself and it's called get the lesson early. I want to go ahead and be the valedictorian of whatever God is trying to teach me so that I can get up out of that discomfort and get the lesson so I can apply it to my life and be good. Because I tell you what, I feel like those 5,000 plus people should have been the first people to believe in Jesus the way that nobody else ever did. To be in the midst of that and to see, oh my goodness, if y'all seen what this dude did with two fish and five loaves. I mean, listen, I don't care what y'all say about him. I believe because I didn't see what he did. He should have had 5,000 plus solid people who were like, bro, I tell you what, <laughs> I, I, you, we going to stand for you. Throughout your whole ministry, you good with us. I tell you that. He should have had a whole army behind him. But how soon people forget? Because, you know, eventually those baskets of leftovers, you know, they kind of, they wear out a little bit. You eat some along the way. And what we forget is, again, if God did it before, he'll do it again. It may be something different in those baskets, but as long as you are connected with God the way that you're supposed to be connected to God, you will never walk around with 12 empty baskets of nothing ever in your timeline. And when you get to that place, if you believe it to that degree, it would just be a whole new eye opener. Like, you know what? I'm not carrying nothing that don't feed me because I'm following the God that feeds my every need. No matter if I'm in a remote place in my life, no matter if I don't think I have enough, no matter if I look at my paycheck, like it's just two fish and five loaves. No matter if I look at my situation or my start in life, like, you know what, you should just shoot me away, God, and just let me go where somebody else would take care of it. No, you serve a God that as long as you are connected to him, you will forever have the umbilical cord to the growth that you need. And I need you to hear that in a way that you're like, I never considered the fact that I shoo me away. Sometimes you can reject your own blessing. Sometimes you can reject yourself just by the very way that you view yourself. You just see yourself so small or inadequate or, you know, just I don't want to bother him with. 
And I'm sure that's what it was. The disciples went up to Jesus, like, just tell those people, go ahead and just, they need to go somewhere else and just find, you know, some, some way to sleep and some food. AKA Jesus, we don't want you bothering with this little stuff. Like, you know, just, it, it's not that serious. But weren't y'all the same disciples that saw that he changed water to wine? So didn't you see that he can take something and make it into something? He could take nothing and make it into something. Didn't y'all see that? So is it because you saw that mm, I, I never seen him turn something to food? Like what actually perverted your level of faith that you didn't think that Jesus could do it? Or did you look at these people like, you know what, don't bother him. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we look at ourselves like that. Yeah, I want to pray about that. But like, I feel like, like there are other people with bigger problems. Like here I am praying about this little old thing. But then there's people who are dying and there's people who, why are you looking at yourself like don't bother God? He made you. The Bible says that he delights in you. He delights in you. He literally knows every hair on your head. Can you count your baby hairs in the back? The kitchen? Can you count your, your edges? No. He knows every hair. So where do we believe that he don't want to be bothered? Where do we get that disciple kind of mindset, if I can coin it that way? Want us to get to the place that we understand what we're carrying and why we carry it that way. Where did you get your posture from? Is it something your mother suffered from? Is it the way that your grandma spoke over you? Is it because your father that one time did that one thing? Is it because somebody violated your innocence, your trust, your what have you? And so somebody from the past is actually has the ability to adjust the posture that you have in your future. Like, can we actually look at that and say, you know what? No more. I'm not carrying those leftovers no more. There won't be a time in my life that I I acknowledge that I'm carrying something and that I don't look at myself big enough to say, God, but you know what? You can actually swap out what's in these baskets. Mm. Can you, you feel that with me? I mean, honestly, did you, you, you feel that? And you know what? I'm not even going to push this conversation no more. I want you to literally just say lie right there. And that needs to be your own private time with God. And private time don't have to look at when you get ready to go to bed or when you, it can literally just be a moment of just silence and you like, God, everything that I heard just now, I agree would help. He's not looking for you to be T.I. with it. You don't have to speak expeditiously with him. He's just looking for an open heart and a willing soul. That's literally it. That's literally it. So my challenge to you is to go ahead and identify exactly what I said. What are you carrying in your baskets? And if you want to go a step further, why? Why are you carrying that? Why are you carrying it in that way? In that posture, in that vein? Why? Why are you pulsating in that way? And when you really get to the bottom of that, as long as you keep Jesus on the assembly line, I guarantee you what you swap out of your basket and what he puts in that, you won't be the same. You just won't. You know what these conversations are. They are life-provoking conversations. Conversations that once we're done, you're like, you know what? <laughs> I didn't even read that like that. 
I promise you. And I knew about the 5,000 and all of that. And I never really saw, yes, we are the body of Christ. And that's why if I read something and I get a different spin on it, then, you know, you go to your preacher or you look at a TV evangelist. Somebody has, has something different because I feel like all together we feed each other. You see what I'm saying? But they're life-provoking conversations. That's what these conversations are for. That's why I enjoy talking to you so much. Because I have an idea of what I want to speak about. But once we start talking and I feel the Holy Spirit moving, I'm like, mm, okay, now I got to go this way. Like, who else would pair up reality TV with the Bible? Nobody but your girl. <laughs> your favorite homegirl. You understand? But I feel like you got what you need. And as my good, good nanny says, all right, I ain't going to hold you. Go ahead and uh, do what you need to do. <laughs> Later.